My name is Mike, and I'm the campus pastor for our Montgomery County campus, and we'll all introduce ourselves. Uh, but uh, we wanted to um, tonight uh, just sp- spend some time as some of the ministry staff and pastoral team here at the church um, answering uh, just some of the questions that you guys have. If you've been tracking with us for the last uh, few weeks, we've been in this series, Blurred Lines, really talking about issues surrounding sex and sexuality. And so we had two weeks with uh, Christopher Ewan, who was talking about um, uh, just homosexuality uh, in, in general and how we as Christians relate not just to the issue, but to people uh, who have same-sex attraction inside and outside the church. And then last week, Ben Sledge from Triple X Church was here talking about pornography. Um, and uh, a couple of weeks ago when Christopher Ewan was here, I kind of uh, fielded some questions that you guys texted in. And when I walked up on stage, I literally had four questions that you guys had sent in. And somehow between the time I got on stage and hit refresh, I had almost 50. So y'all are some curious people. Uh, and there was just no way, absolutely no way we could get to all those questions. I think we got to like seven of them or something like that. And so as we were kind of thinking and praying about it, we just said, hey, uh, in, in light of that, also in light of some of the responses we got uh, to the talk on pornography, and just as pastors who really uh, wrestle through these issues with you guys a lot, we wanted to take some time to answer these questions. And so there's, there's two kind of passages that I, I thought about um, as we were preparing that I, that I want us to just kind of keep in mind uh, because I think as we talk about the issue of sexuality, kind of two things happen. One is uh, we all have kind of our personal sexual issues, right? Um, and it can be really difficult uh, as Christians. And so, man, how much more than for a non-Christian trying to understand our kind of sexual ethics, but as Christians, it can be very difficult to feel like, whatever, however that shakes out for you, to feel like we are suppressing a part of ourselves, whether it's our desires or what we consider to be a core part of our identity, but then also add to that the cultural pressure that we feel from friends, family members, coworkers, the media, uh, when we hold to kind of biblical standards of sexuality, the pressure that we feel Uh, When people kind of look at us or respond to us like, man, you guys are primitive, you guys are hateful. And so internally there's this pressure that we feel, and externally there's also this pressure that we feel. And so I think there's kind of two truths that as we kind of discuss some of these issues, we need to hold in tension. Um, And uh, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, man, I really would encourage you to really take these things to heart and just consider um, the worldview um, that produces some of, some of the, the beliefs that we have just about sex and, and sexuality. But one, one passage is in Isaiah 55, and you can just uh, jot it down or shoot an email to yourself, but it's Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2, um, and it specifically talks about obe- obedience to God's uh, commands. And this is what God says to his wayward people, Israel. Uh, God says um, through his prophet Isaiah, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He's saying, listen, you don't, you don't have any money, but I want you to come and feast. Enjoy this. Uh, and then verse 2, he says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of food. 
And the reason I wanted to share that is because what I want us to keep in mind is that obedience to God is the pathway to our joy. Obedience to God is not what hinders us from our joy. Uh, God says that when you obey me, when you listen to me, you are entering into um, my design for your joy right now and for your eternal joy. And so God's commands are not roadblocks to our joy. They, they really are like, like when you go to the airport and you stand on the moving walkway, you know what I mean? Like, I love those things. Uh, but it, it's like how we step into God's pathway for joy. So that's one thing. And I think that's to encourage our hearts because many of us uh, really do think of, of God as a killjoy. But then there's another truth that we hold in tension with that truth that I, I feel like we don't like to talk about, but I think it's really important for us to consider uh, as we're talking about sexual ethics and sexuality in general. Um, and that's in Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Uh, and in that context, Peter is saying, listen, there's going to be a bunch of people that mock Christian belief and say, you guys have been saying Jesus is coming back for years, and this guy hasn't come back yet. Um, so sorely, like what you, what you believe is just a myth. And Peter res, uh, reminds the church, uh, he, he says this, he says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. We tend to think of God's promises just in the positive. But he's specifically talking about God coming in his judgment and his wrath on unrepentant sinners. He says, He is patient with you. Not, here's why, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people, Christians, ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of, he of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. In other words, man, we all should have a conscious awareness of the reality that specifically as, well, all of us are going to stand before God, but specifically related to Christians, we're going to have to stand before God and give an account for what we believe and what we trust and what we say and what we do and what we affirm and what we celebrate. Um, and so on the one hand, man, obeying God is the, the path to our joy. And yet on the other hand, I think we need to be reminded that the way we respond to that internal pressure and the external cultural pressure has eternal implications. That, that man, none of us want to be like, okay, cool, I'm going to go ahead and compromise in my belief because I have this friend in my life who might be upset if I, if I say I believe something contrary to what they believe. None of us want to do that and then on, on, on judgment day stand before the holy God of the universe and be like, God, I sold you out because I was afraid of, of getting resistance from a friend or a coworker. So there's, there's, a, there's like an inspirational, like, ah, this is great kind of reality, that we, but we hold that intention with a more sobering reality that God is a God of holiness and judgment. Um, and so I just want that to really shape 
uh, how we, our attitudes as we, as we talk about some very real uh, issues. And so Jess is going to kind of field some of these questions and just kick them out to us. And y'all asked some real stuff. I was looking at the questions while I was talking to Christopher Ewan, trying to like manage all of that. And like there was a question that came in about fetishes. And I was like, oh, so we're going there. Cool. All right. Let's do it. Uh, so we're going to talk about some real stuff uh, and give some uh, honest, prayerfully biblical uh, uh, answers, and if we don't, we'll get fired. <laughs> Take us Minor away. details. Yeah. So my job is to keep them on track, okay? So I'm going to try my very bestest to get through as many questions as we can. But before we kind of jump, I know, I made, somebody was like, bestest. I, I just made up. Before we get started, though, can you guys introduce yourself? I know you've been up here before, but just remind people who you are, what you do, why you're I just here. I said Mike. Mike yeah. <clears throat> I'm Nate Keeler out at NBC Arlington, yeah. campus pastor. Uh, Nate Crew, I'm at Embassy Montgomery with Mike. I'm the outreach guy over there. All right, and I'm Eric Saunders. I'm with Nate Keeler over at NBC Arlington, Men's Discipleship Director. Hmm. So is it MoCo? Is that what we say nowadays? Montgomery? Is that it? That's what the people say. That's, that's what, what the people, people say. say. That's what right. they say. We'll, not we'll the Spanish on. word MoCo. If you know Spanish, you know that's probably not. I don't know it. Cool. We won't okay, talk about don't it. go. Okay, got it. <laughs> I'm sure some thought was given before that. It was. Okay. Um, so anyways, last week we had um, Ben here, Ben Sledge from Triple X Church, and we talked about pornography. And um, I know, um, you know, there's a lot of questions around that, but I think one of the ways that we can kind of holistically address that is, I even talked to somebody after the service last week where, um, you know, how do they um, continue to fight people who are struggling with pornography? How do you continue to eliminate that from your life? You know, we talked about the dangers of it. We talked about where it can lead to. Um, and I think, you know, that was real and gripping. And I think we all realized that. But um, even as you're fighting it, you know, how can you actually have victory over pornography in your life? What are some either practical ways or just, um, you know, tips you have? Well, um let me share a little bit. I had a porn, a porn addiction for about a decade of my life um, that was pretty much daily, a daily thing uh, for a, a long period of time. Uh, and so I've been through that. I also, I actually, I preached a 65-minute sermon on this. 65 minutes. I didn't, 65 minutes? Also known as an hour and a half. Hour, hour and a half. Five minutes. Yeah. All right. I didn't realize it was that long. Uh, but I preached that message a couple of weeks ago out at Arlington. So I want to encourage you to go, go on and listen. Particularly the last half of this is where, or the last third of it, is where I address um, really the answer to this question. What do you do about it? How do you deal with it? Just let me just give a couple of quick thoughts um, on that. One, and you're going you're gonna to hear this a lot, but really it's so true. And that is why we repeat it all the time is you got to start with the gospel right up front. You need to understand the gospel, understanding your, the gospel in light of that sin of addiction. Whatever your stronghold is, whatever your pro proclivity is, whether it's, um, whether it's pornography or it's alcoholism or it's trying to quit smoking or it's trying to, you know, stop, you know, yelling at people or blowing up in anger, like the same the same process starts with the gospel. Understand the gospel gives you the context. It gives you the, the A to Z of all of your sins. So you gotta understand what the gospel has to say about forgiveness and confession and why that's so important that God still forgives you. God hasn't run out of forgiveness and grace for you and mercy that you can constantly go to him for that. But that the gospel also trains you for godliness. The Titus 2 talks about how the grace of God has appeared, the gospel has appeared, and it trains us to say no to all ungodliness and to live upright 
lives, pure lives before God. And so the gospel should be training us to live a godly life, to hate sin. The gospel tra- trains us to hate sin and love, uh, love God and want to honor him more with our life. Um, secondly, I think you, you need to make no provision for the flesh. So if you're, if you're struggling, but you're like, you still, you don't have any like pornography blockers on your computer and your cell phone and you don't have accountability structure set up in your life, I would say, you know, you probably haven't tried yet. Like you haven't started trying. So you, don't, you don't really start trying to block this and deal with this and conquer it until you make no provision for your flesh. And whatever that might mean for you. And for some of us, for a time, it might mean something drastic. You know, there's a period of time. I didn't go to the beach. It sounds crazy for some of you. I, I took about a year of my life. I was like, I'm not going to the beach because right now I don't, want, I, don't want any, I don't want any provision for my flesh. And I needed it. I was in such a desperate place that I was willing to not go to the beach for that period of time in my life. Um, and I love the beach. <laughs> um, so I, I put blockers on my computer. I use Covenant Eyes software. And my wife has, um, uh, has all the information. She gets the reports on Covenant Eyes. So if I, if I watch, if I look at anything on my computer, on my cell phone, on her, uh, on her computer, her smartphone, on, our, on every, every a tablet that we have, anything that I look at that I shouldn't be looking at, Shannon will, will know about that. Listen, that's not a conversation I want to have anytime soon with my wife. So that's really helpful. Um, you know, so think about the most awkward conversation, the most uncomfortable conversation you could have with somebody. That's the person that should have that information. So get the software. Start trying. First start trying. Uh, enter into deep biblical community. You need a band of brothers, band of sisters walking with you on this, not afraid to ask you the question, hey, what are you looking at right now? Hey, what is your, what is your mind wanting to wander to right now? Hey, what triggers have been set off this week? How are you memorizing scripture to fight this? All right, so get, if you're already in a group, get deeper into that group. And if you're like, man, I've tried that. Listen, open up, talk to your leader and say, listen, I need to be a part of a group where people are being real with each other, right? And, and, if, you're, and if your leader's not willing to get there, get a new group, right? <laughs> like you need to be in a place where people can get real with each other um, and have that accountability. And then I would say back to some very simple things about like, Memorizing scripture, call those fighter verses. You know, you should memorize about probably 10 passages that talk specifically about dealing with temptation, killing sin. How do you deal with this? And so in the moment of your weakness, in those triggers, right, you should know what your triggers are, your whys behind your what. Uh, whether it's you're lonely or you're hungry or you're sad or you're, you know, you're, you're idle with your time or whatever. Know those triggers. And you have those verses ready to memorize in that moment of weakness, Right, so those are just a few thoughts of, of uh, where to go from there. I, I like the, um, there's a really short book called Sexual Addiction. I think we made it available last week uh, by uh, David Pallison. It's a really short book on that. It might be a helpful resource for some of you. Also, just as a reminder, finding freedom at mcleanbible.org. We're starting those um, purity groups. So um, sign up for that if you haven't signed up for that too. One of the questions that we got kind of... Um, along with pornography, is masturbation. So we didn't just hit in that. I'm so, I kind of looked in the group before I asked this question, but if there's any young folks in this group, this may not be the, quite the night for them. Um, but too late yeah, since 12, I just If they're 12 that. or older, this is a perfect place for them. That's true. Right. Because they're, 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 sure. your 12-year-old, if your 12-year-old's here, he's probably thinking about the question you're about to ask. Okay, okay great. So... Um, <laughs> We're just, yeah. So, is masturbation a sin? Can you 
masturbate and not watch pornography? Is that okay? Is masturbating if you're married okay? Just talk in general and at length at that of that topic, if you would. Because we got lots of questions on it. Well, I'll start the conversation since I'm the guy willing to talk about it. No, these guys are too. Um, so probably at, at, um, at about the eight or nine year mark of my struggle with, uh, with, with porn, uh, pornography, I stopped watching pornography, but I still continued in the sin uh, of, of masturbation. And so that was, I, I did it through, because I had a highlight reel. You know, I had the best of right here. I didn't need to look at it because I had all, all the highlight reel right here, and so I could access it any moment I wanted. And so, yeah, that's obvious. There's some obviousness in that, right? That even if you're not actually watching pornography, fantasizing falls under that category. Uh, even if you're fantasizing and it's not leading you to masturbation, that is sin as well. Listen, Jesus gets real with this. He doesn't mess around. He says, hey, you've been used to identifying adultery as actual physical sex with somebody else. He's like, but I'm saying to you, when you look at somebody in lust, when you allow your, your mind to go toward the fantasy and to think about, oh, what would that person look like in this? Or let me play out a scenario of my life with that person that I'm not married to, right, in, a sexual, in any kind of sexual connotation. Right? You have committed adultery in your heart, Jesus says. Jesus gets right to the heart issue. So even if masturbation is off the table completely and you're looking at somebody in lust, you're fantasizing about somebody in lust, you're still in, in, the, in a place of sin. Right? So Jesus gets really serious. He gets to the heart issue. Um, and so that's kind of how I'd frame it. Now, is, it, is there ever a condition upon which masturbation is not direct sin? Um, maybe if you're married and you're in a situation where you're not able to have sex with your spouse, um, there could be a scenario in which, you know, stirring your affections for your wife or your husband, um, while they're away, maybe they're out in, on, at war or, or, or they're out on a long, very long business trip or, or, or another kind of medical condition or something like that. A very long walk, not a very long walk. Um, <laughs> not a very long walk. Um, part of that, and this might be a little loose. Uh, this this might be a little loose, loose uh, implication of of First Corinthians um, seven. But it talks about you know a married couple should avoid sex uh, for a, but only for a time to commit themselves to praying but then come together quickly so that you do not give the devil a foothold and the enemy a foothold. And so maybe under certain conditions it would be okay. I think you just, you just, you just walk a very dangerous line there. But um, if you're single and you're, and you're lusting after somebody, even if that person is not an actual person but a figment of your imagination, you're, you're lusting in your heart. So it's, it still comes into, I think we're still talking about sin. Yeah, I think... Uh, oh. Okay, cool. Uh, for, for me, um, I, I think, uh, I mean, I agree with Nate, but I, I think I, I would generally almost exclusively stay away from it because, and one of the things that I had to ask was not, I feel like we try to ask the question, okay, is masturbation a sin? Which is like, hey, where's the line? 
But one of the things I had to come to in, in reflecting is what, what is masturbation doing to me? Right? Like what, because when we make decisions, right, we are becoming something as we are making decisions. And so not just like, okay, is this wrong or is this right? But I think you really have to, apart from just the clear sexual sin stuff, lust, all that kind of stuff, because somebody may, you know, play games with that and say, well, actually, I'm not lusting as I'm masturbating. My mind is blank and I'm not, it's not connected to pornography, I'm not whatever, but I think you really have, have to ask, okay, are you making provision for those fantasies to creep in? Are you, uh, are you becoming a more inwardly focused, I have to satisfy my physical desires right now kind of person? And is that the kind of person the Holy Spirit is shaping you to be? And the answer is no. Um, and so I had to start to ask some of those types of questions. Um, and I, I literally, I was looking forward to my phone and I can't find it. I should be able to find it more quickly. Um, but uh, I had to just list out biblical and also practical reasons why uh, masturbation is not just sinful in, in almost every circumstance, but also uh, just not God's design and not God's best because the enemy will, will creep up. And that's why I appreciate, you know, the scripture is not, there's no like clear, like explicit Boom. You know, people bring up owning and stuff like that. That's not about masturbation in the Old Testament. If you don't know what I'm talking about, people will use the Old Testament example uh, uh, to say, oh, well, that was masturbation. That was sin, and it wasn't. Um, but uh, but the, the enemy, what, what happened with that answer about marriage is that, that for me, that kind of began to open the door of justification and the enemy just started to bring the temptations just stronger and stronger and stronger. So it wasn't just like, oh, well, my wife is never away at war. But, it's, you know, it's not we're on a long walk. Uh, but, like, it wasn't just like, oh, we're apart from it. But it's like, uh, okay, so she, uh, she's pregnant. And there's a, there's a time period where we're not able to have sex or, or we're just having a rough season in our marriage right now. And so, uh, so we're working through a lot. And sex is just not, like, the most immediate thing that's happening in our life right now. And so the enemy just starts to bring justifications and stuff like that. So I think beyond just the black, white, is it sin or not, you really need to be thinking about what is this, what am I becoming as I am making this decision to do this? And is this, is this working with what the Holy Spirit is trying to, to, to uh, transform me into or just working against what the Holy Spirit is trying to turn me into? Let me kind of add something real quick. I know this pretty much settled it for me, so I just wanted to share uh, exactly what I feel like from the scriptures. Basically, the design of sex is never for private individual sexual fulfillment. Never, ever, ever, ever. God didn't give sexual fulfillment for you to enjoy that privately or as an individual. So even, this is really helpful just in general, but especially in the context of marriage, that's not for you alone. Ever, under any circumstances whatsoever. I can't think of a good one. So unless it's enjoined with your spouse in some way where you're edifying and encouraging and loving one another, that would be the only, the only place. But in terms of just thinking through it, you can go across the board. This is really good just as a sexual ethic for you. God never intended for you to enjoy any sort of sexual pleasure by yourself, ever. And so that just kind of helped. That wiped it away from me. That settled it. I was done not thinking about it anymore. So that was helpful for me. Um, well, while we're here. Let's just go, keep going. Um, one of the questions which you mentioned, which um, um, we got asked is, is having sexual fetishes a sin? You know, obviously, um, maybe in the context of marriage, or is there ever a time where that is okay? Uh, all right, cool. Um, I, like to be the, I like to be the asker. Yeah, so I, I think, I like, technically speaking, what a fetish is, is just like an attraction uh, to a particular part of the body. And that is, I think, a part maybe of a broader conversation about fantasy. 
Um, and I think, no, it's not necessarily a sin to be, have a particular attraction to a particular part uh, of the body. But I think you have to think, again, it's, it's, think, it's, it's getting the wisdom of God beyond just like black, white, you know, whatever. Okay, I like feet. Is that sin? Well, no. Uh, but um, uh, I, I think two questions you, you got to ask. Two questions, two questions you uh, uh, have, have to ask. Um, this is what it's like to, to work or staff at the church. It's <laughs> ignorance 90% of the time. Um, but two questions, right? So what does this fetish lead to and where did this fetish come from? So what does this fetish lead to? So, okay, yeah, you may, you may like feet. Another person like, oh, uh, smiles or whatever. I don't know. Um, you, may, you may have that particular fetish or whatever. But what does it lead to? So really considering like, Okay, so if you're married or not married uh, um, and you find yourself particularly attracted, you, you, there's sexual arousal that happens because of a particular part of the body or something like that. That's not inherently wrong, but what is that leading to? Is that leading you to fantasize? Is that leading you to look at uh, someone and just kind of linger, you know, on that? Um, but then the other question too, and this was huge for me even in my marriage, is like where did this fetish come from? And this is where I, I kind of want to introduce just the broader topic of fantasy uh, because so many of us, like our particular fantasies, and, and for many of us, even a, a lot of our particular sexual attractions have just been cultivated in a sinful context. Like in my case, it was pornography. And so I found when I got married uh, and my wife and I, um, you know, we're, we're having sex and that's not a problem. We got two kids. So if you ever needed to know whether or not we had sex, those are two evidences. Um, at least twice. It happened at least twice. And, and, and thankfully much more. Um, and we'll continue. Uh, so, uh, but one of the things that happened to me was I started to realize even in our sexual relationship, um, there were things that kind of came into our sexual relationship as a married couple that we just were like, Wait, 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 where did that attraction come? Where did that preference come from? And I, I really had to back up, and we started to really think about that and pray through that. And I started to realize that a lot of what I thought good sex was or a lot of what I desired uh, in, our, in our sexual interactions, it, I, it, was, it was like almost like a subconscious thing. It had been shaped and informed by a history of pornography in my life. Um, and so I, this is where, like, Romans uh, 12, 2, renewing your mind, or First Thessalonians talk about uh, examining everything and holding fast to that which is good um, and, and abstaining from that which is evil. We just, I had to like, all, it was almost like, um, like in sports, you kind of run game film and just say, okay, we, where, where was, this was okay, but this wasn't okay. We had to start to process and communicate in our relationship like, hmm, that, that was like, that, that didn't come out of the kind of spirit of gentleness and love and mutual uh, satisfaction that God has designed for, for marriage. And so I think when it comes to fetishes or fantasies, like asking the question, where is this coming from, is huge. And we need to examine those, even if they're not inherently sinful, um, where did they come from and where are they taking us? You guys have anything to add? Good. All right. Um, we, when Dr. Ewan was here, we obviously answered com some questions about um, homosexuality. One of the questions I feel like we didn't allow as much time for, and he touched on it a little bit, is the question about nature versus nurture. Um, are people born with same-sex attraction? Um, and, you know, that whole, that whole conversation of 
how much of it um, is nature and how much of it is nurture. And if you could kind of expand a little bit on what, on what he talked about. Yeah, I, I think this is a debated question. It's continually a debated question. Um, scienti scientific, uh, scientifically, there has been no evidence yet of a gay gene or anything of the sort. So um, it's still very speculative as to whether or not there's an actual gene or an actual you know, thing that they can point to that says, ah, if you have this, that means you are going to come out of the womb with a, a you know, same-sex attraction or something like that. But let's back up from that, the, sci the science of it, okay? There is certainly science to look into. Um, back up, and I think we need to understand, go back to our understanding of sin, understanding to the origins of sin and the ramifications of sin in everything, everything. Sin has tainted everything on our planet. And we really need to understand that because the rhetoric goes something like this. Well, if God created me this way, then it must be okay, right? If God created me with these feelings, then it must be okay. And what is the thought behind that? The thought is, well, God created me good. I'm a perfect creation. And so therefore, if this thing is part of who I am, Therefore, it's also good, and it shouldn't be, and who are you to say, or who is anybody to say it's not good, or it's not something we should practice, right? That's the rhetoric, and it's based on faulty, listen, faulty understanding of the, of the ramifications of sin and the sin nature and everything that's been created, right? The doctrine of total depravity or original sin has affected not just our morality, right, and right and wrong, it's affected our physiology, it's created our biology, it's created, listen, it's created uh, ramifications on our planet. Listen, hurricanes, natural disasters, the weeds in my backyard, right? Ticks that have Lyme's disease are all ramifications of the garden of original sin, which has, which has brought disharmony, disunity, dysfunction to all of creation. Okay, and so to limit our understanding of sin at just to moral choice mm -hmm. is a faulty understanding of the idea of sin. Sin has tainted everything. So if somebody is born, let's think of it with uh, somebody who's born without a limb, right? That is a result of, the orig of original sin played out over decades and decades and millennia of uh, dysfunction. Right? We need to understand it to that level. You need to understand when somebody comes out with a missing chromosome. Right? That is part of the original sin, the effects of Adam. Now, did that person sin to be born without a limb or to be born with a missing chromosome? Of course not. They didn't, sin, they didn't commit a sin. But Romans 5 says very explicitly that we are all in Adam and Adam sinned. And so therefore, everyone has sinned because we all come from Adam. It's in our loins. So with that as a backdrop, the question, are people born with same-sex attraction? I would say, I would answer that way the same way I would say, are some people born with more of a tendency toward outbursts of anger? Or are some people born more toward, you know, one, one particular tendency or another? Absol the answer is absolutely. I think it's in our genes. It's in our, it's in, sin is in our genes. We are born sinners. We are born with uh, proclivities toward things that are not good. And so you say, well, well, then why do I have a desire? I mean, if God, as the rhetoric goes, if God gave me this desire, then it shouldn't be wrong, should it? 
Well, I'd say the same, the same thing of, okay, well, if God gave me the desire, I'm married, but I have a desire at times to want to be with another woman or to look on a woman with lust. I have that desire. So you say, well, where did that desire come from? Well, it came from my own sinful heart, right? Those desires are in me. Doesn't mean we obey desires just because they're, they're in us, right? You have a desire sometimes to lie. You have a desire sometimes to cheat. You have a desire to judge other people, or to cheat on your taxes, right? We shouldn't obey every desire that's in us. Of course not. That would be crazy. So, so is it nature? Of course, there's a, there's a nature component because sin it goes deeper than just moral choice. Is it nurture? I'd say, yes, there's absolutely environmental issues that, um, that you know, might enhance or bring out or, or, uh, or, or bring dysfunction to our thinking or, or our, or our uh, attraction from a very young age. And, and so there's so many different factors of what could that be, you know, could be uh, something you saw or were exposed to or something was done to you, you might have been victimized or you had a certain parental environment, right? All those things factor in. Uh, but I don't think we should uh, say it's either or. We need to really understand the effects of sin. Um, one of the questions we got regarding homosexuality was um, that Jesus never condemns homosexuality. That um, where does it say in the New Testament um, that, we, that homosexuality is sinful? Do you see that claimed? Yeah, I mean, I can... I can jump in on that. Um, so there's a couple things we got to think about when we listen to this question. Number one is it's really a bad view and understanding of the Bible to separate what Jesus has said via the Gospels from what Jesus has said via Paul or everybody else. That's a terrible understanding of Scripture when 2 Timothy 3 says all Scripture is spoken by God. So that's just a good first start to say when Paul says in Romans 1 this is unnatural and not right, that's Jesus speaking those words. So we got to add that in there. But if we want to concede, we want to we want to talk about what Jesus has said. There's a couple things. Number one, Jesus always affirms the Mosaic law and the Mosaic rule of things. What's called the Levitical Holiness Code. So when he talks about marriage, or when he talks about a sexual ethic, especially when he's talking to other Jews, he's always referring back to what Moses has said and the law that was given via Moses. So he's confirming all of those things within the law of Moses and the moral grounds that we stand on because of that. So you have to think about it this way. There's, you say, okay, well, Jesus didn't explicitly, you're drawing an inference. Well, there's really nothing else that you can do. So you think about it this way. Jesus has two ways to really explicitly say something. He can say, you ought not to do these four things and list them all. Or he can say, you ought to do this one thing. And in affirming the right thing, he automatically categorizes everything beneath that. So let's just suppose, I heard a pastor say this way. Suppose I had five women on stage. There's two ways I could point out my wife to you. Number one is to say it's not her, it's not her, it's not her, and it's not her. Or to say it's her, right? And what do those do? They do the exact same thing. So this is what Jesus is doing in the New Testament. He's saying this is the appropriate sexual ethic. It's only one thing. There's only one thing. So in affirming the right thing, he's clearly saying everything else that falls beneath that isn't right. And that's to go along with everything else the Bible has said uh, in general to go with what Jesus has said. And specifically where Jesus affirms just that mosaic kind of biblical understanding of marriage is in Matthew chapter 5. You can go there. One verse I, I think is helpful to link what Nate said about we don't pick, because this has implications beyond just sexuality. People always, not always, but a lot of people argue, and I got a lot of friends that will argue with me, uh, you know, and say, well, Jesus trumps what, you know, Jesus trumps Paul. Yes, Jesus does trump Paul. But that doesn't mean that what Jesus said trumps uh, what, what Paul said. And here's why 
not just 2 Timothy 3, it talks about all scriptures inspired, but even Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, when we understand the doctrine of scripture and what inspiration means, this is what Jesus told his disciples uh, in John uh, chapter 16. This is what he said about the Holy Spirit. He said, uh, this is verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So in other words, Jesus is saying, after I'm gone, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. And what he's talking about there is the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is going to give you what to say as authoritative word of the Lord, of me, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is only going to say what he hears from me. So when we read the rest of the Bible and we read what the apostles have said and what was recorded, it is not, it's not in contrast to the words of Jesus. It's a continuation of the words of Jesus. So, so what we see in the rest of the New Testament is on par. It's on the same level of authority and inspiration as what we have recorded literally coming out of, of Jesus' mouth. Um, and so it ha- it's, it's much more far-reaching than just the sexuality issue. That's how we understand the, the, the whole Bible. Okay, so I want to get to at least three more questions. And this kind of tags along with what we're talking about. And I know, Eric, we were talking about this briefly. But how do you address the, that culturally in biblical times, you know, the LGBT community would have been, you know, ostracized. Now in our culture today, it's not that way. So how do you say that this topic in the Bible is not a cultural thing like slavery or things like that? Um, In short, I think I would say that especially in the New Testament, when it argues against homosexuality, it doesn't argue from a cultural standpoint. It argues from God's original intention. And so when you see uh, Paul arguing in Romans 1 against homosexuality, he doesn't say just a Roman culture. He says because originally it was intended a certain way. He goes back to Genesis 1. And so that's what I would say to that. Um, and this is another, I wanted to give us enough time to talk about this and one other question, but um, can you talk about um, the concept of um, being a gay Christian and how that sits? And then also um, in talking about um, marriage equality and how, uh, I know I'm tagging these two together, but just to kind of give you guys the floor, how do we, um, you know, as believers who may um, understand that God uh, made marriage for a man and a woman, but how do we def- separate, um, you know, biblical marriage from marriage equality and rights of today? So being a gay Christian, like, uh, I love the Lord. I love Jesus. I don't think there's anything wrong with homosexuality. How do you deal with that as well as marriage equality? Uh, so there's two things I would say to that. So you say, okay, can I be a gay Christian? So I'm going to say yes and no. Okay, so this is what we're going to break it down into. There's needed, you need to clear up these questions. So number one, yes, can I be a gay Christian in the terms of identification? So I say, yes. So you would say to me, okay, I'm a, I'm a believer in Christ. I am exclusively attracted to the, opposite, to the same sex, but I submit to Christ's sexual ethic. I put my faith in him for my salvation, and I follow him, and I'm not participating in that. I identify as a gay Christian that way. Then I say, yeah, okay, I'm with you. In the same way, I'm a straight Christian. But here's another caveat I'd put with that. When you, when you put gay in front of Christian, you put the fact that you're gay or straight on the equal level with being a Christian. 
right? And God would never have us that. So Colossians 3 tells us that our life is hidden now with Christ. So we're hidden in our, everything about our identity is hidden now in Jesus. So the only thing that expresses who we really are is to say I'm one with Christ. So to identify as a gay Christian is pretty much just as useless as identifying as a straight Christian, an old Christian, a young Christian, any of those things, because our identity is just Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. So that would be yes. The no would be pretty simple from 1 Corinthians 6. Can I practice unrepentantly and joyfully and openly my gay lifestyle and still be a Christian? Well, that answer is clearly no. And the Bible is explicit on that. And if you read the Bible with just an open mind, you can really see it there, especially in 1 Corinthians 6, where he lists a bunch of things. And he says, these people who practice thievery and greed and adultery and homosexuality, all of these people will not, inherit, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's really clear that if you practice those things openly and you're not repentant about it and you're just joyfully going about your business, then God says, listen, you're not going to enter the kingdom. And those who don't enter the kingdom clearly aren't believers. So those would be the two yes and no's that I put on that. And I'll pass the marriage question off to somebody else so I don't talk forever. Yeah, I think, the, I think the marriage thing is tough. I think increasingly as we are in a pluralistic society, um, trying to figure out how to live as Christians in a way where kind of what, uh, what kind of the things that go against what we believe as Christians is just being not just affirmed but legally uh, uh, solidified. It, it's tough, and I think it requires wisdom kind of the wisdom of Israel, you know, being sojourners and being uh, in the midst of these pagan nations. I think uh, um, the way I approach this issue is that every pretty much, I've never met anybody that doesn't, I want to leave room for that person, but pretty much everybody limits marriage in some way. Everybody. Right, so any of my friends that are, uh, you know, super hardcore advocates or allies, you know, for same-sex marriage and all that type of stuff, even they, they go, they're going to draw a boundary around marriage in some way, shape, or form, whether that's, you know, whether that's based on age, whether that's based on family, whatever the case may, uh, the case may be. And so the question is, uh, where do we get those limits? Where do we get those boundaries? Do we make them up? Are they just a reflection of just kind of where we are in the cultural moment? Um, and so I can't really speak for non-Christians. I can speak for Christians and say for us, I mean, our entire life, uh, um, ultimately this, the word of God is the infallible authority in our life um, for what we are to believe and how we are to behave. And so our definition of marriage is derived from the scriptures. And so um, I think that, uh, that, by, that God, because he has created and defined uh, marriage as a sacred uh, thing, um, we, we as, as human beings, we don't have the right to redefine that or define it in a way that contradicts uh, what God has said. And so for any of my Christians, and I have a lot of Christian friends, to be honest, that uh, would disagree with me on this and say, I'm an advocate for same-sex marriage, and they changed their Facebook profile pic to, you know, the rainbow deal and all of that. Um, uh, my, my question is this, what is marriage? What is marriage? And I think we have to slow down from Scripture, if you're a Christian, and answer that question, because marriage is something. Marriage is not just anything we want it to be individually or in our, our current cultural moment. Marriage is something, right? Just definitionally speaking, it actually is something. And so I think we want to be sensitive 
to, uh, to, to gay friends, man, who, uh, who want to uh, have companionship, and especially if they're not a Christian and don't hold to the authority of Scripture, honestly, to live life their own way. And we want to say to them lovingly, judgment day is going to come, and you're going to stand before a holy God, and you're going to give an account for your life. And apart from Jesus and apart from just repentance, uh, you're, you're going to be condemned. We want to be able to say that, and at the same time, while, while anybody is, is living on earth, man, we want uh, them to be able to, um, to live to a certain degree a happy life or a certain degree a fulfilling life. Um, but I don't think that can lead us to change uh, what, what God has said and what God has defined. And I think the same thing is true. That, that same argument is why I think we should have abolished slavery. Because to arbitrarily say this group of people are less than human and this group of people are not, we don't have that right. We have been endowed by our creator with certain rights as human beings regardless of nationality or ethnicity or skin color. So we don't have the right to redefine who is, who is human and who is not. And I think likewise we don't have the right as human beings to define what is marriage and, and what is not. Close quote, end, end of the topic. So would you say that Christians, how, can, you sum, can you sum it up for us in like one, uh, one statement? Nope. No. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, what are you saying? I just think it's, a, it's, it's Smart. you know, it, it, you're saying it's complicated yeah. and that some Christians believe it's okay to support um, marriage equality and then others cling to, you know, marriage as how it's created, and that tension is what we are just going to be walking in and living in. It's a, it's a tension, but it doesn't mean that we think they're right. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's wrong to, as a, as a Christian, to say it's we, that, that we think that gay marriage should be a, a privilege or a right for everybody. I don't think what Mike is saying, we don't have the right as Christians who follow God's word to give that any, anybody that right. Because God has already defined that. And so um, if you, you want to call it something other than the term marriage, which is a technical word that God has created, call it, call it union, call it something else. But from a definition standpoint, that's God's design, not ours. We shouldn't be the ones trying to re- recreate that. Now, let me say, I'm not going to stand in front of some chapel and, like, block people from going in to get married. I got a good friend of mine that I'm sure is going to get married. He's a gay dude. Uh, he's going to invite me to his wedding, I'm sure, and that's going to be a tough conversation to have with him. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to like try to bar him from getting in there and getting married. No, I'm not. But I am going to say, based on my, and what, what I said to these guys was like, uh, and I stole this from somebody, and I, I don't know where I got it from, but it's a really great example. We're talking about in, in certain kind of Eastern cultures that are more like pantheistic, right? Panthe- pantheism just means that God is creation, and creation is God, and it's, and, it's, and it's all one. So creation is divine, ultimately. In those cultures, like, if you imagine working, being a co-worker with somebody in that culture, and you see, like, a bug, and you're getting ready to just stomp on it, right? And our just American, like, insensitivity, we're just like, oh, it's a bug. I'm killing that thing. And they freak out. They're like, no, don't, don't do it. They sound crazy if you don't understand their worldview. If you don't understand that that person sees creation as divine and so killing an animal 
is like crazy because that's a sacred thing. They just look like totally nuts to you. And I think it's the same way people look at us. When we articulate our view of sex or our view of marriage, if you don't understand it within the framework of Scripture and within our worldview, that marriage is something that's been divine by, uh, designed by God, that sex is something that accomplishes something in particular that God had in mind like Nate articulated, then certainly all we sound like is just bigoted, primitive, crazy, repressive people. You know, um, and that's why we want to constantly come back to this is what Scripture says, and God's design is ultimately for our joy. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, one of the questions I, that I really wanted to get to, it might be our last question that we get to, but um, the whole topic of being transgender. Obviously, it's all over um, the news, all over um, what people are talking about. Um, so is uh, being transgendered a sin, and what should you do, you know, if you identify um, you know, with the opposite sex. Uh, cool. Um, I thought I saved the, good, the best for last. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let me uh, say, um, uh, it's similar to the gay, gay Christian thing. Uh, is tra- being transgender a sin? It depends on what you mean by that. I would say inherently no if we're, if we're depending on how we're using that language. I think, I don't think anybody uh, sane would w- would be able to deny that there are people who experience deep, in in many cases agonizing internal conflict between their physical uh, or genetic sex um, and their just internal sense of like gender identity, and I think if we if we just blow over that as Christians, I think we're being as insensitive in that instance as we are with with anybody that's struggling with anything. Right, whether it's sinful or just have, you know struggling with with, with whatever, um, uh, and so I think we want to be able to uh, say, okay, that is a reality that a, a percentage of people in our culture and, quite frankly, in our church uh, uh, wrestle with, and we need to be sensitive to that reality. Now, moving on beyond that, I think the question is, do we look to our desires as authoritative or God's design as authoritative? And so, uh, and I talked about this in a sermon a couple weeks ago, um, but I think we as believers, we, we have to look at God's design. And specifically, uh, we can look at just our anatomical and physiological design uh, as evidence of that, but certainly out of God's word. Um, and so I think we have to continue to hold up the biblical standard, which is, which is loving. Like it's not, uh, it's not our job, to be, to be honest, it's not our job to affirm someone's delusion. And that sounds so harsh and insensitive. And if you knew me and if you knew the people that I spend time with, you would know that, that my, my heart breaks uh, for people who struggle with sexuality issues or gender issues and all of that. And I spend time with people in that. I have relations, ongoing relationships with people. So, but but, um, but we, we, it is not a loving thing to just say, okay, clearly you are a man um, but you feel like a woman or you feel like you should have been a woman, it's not a loving thing to just be like, that's courageous. It's not a loving thing. Not just because we're saying that, man, apart from Jesus, when you stand before God, like you, you give an account for how you live that out, but also just you are an embodied person. You have been given a, a gender, a, 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 a physical sex you know, by God, by your creator, and is not in your best interest. It is not in the interest of your joy and your fulfillment, ultimately, uh, to, to buck against that. And but we have to, we can't just say that and then act like, you know, that fixes it. Just like in any other issue, we have to say that in love, but in truth, 
And then we have to be able to put our arm around somebody and walk them. Because most of us in this room, we do not know what it is like to feel as a woman like I should have been a man. Or further than that, especially with culture fanning that flame, I am a man. We don't know what that's like. And so we can't just say, this is what God says. We have to say that. Can't shy away from that. But then we also have to be like, okay, so we're going to walk this out together. And that's, that's where we kind of walk in, in biblical community. So if you are struggling with that sense of gender identity, and specifically if you're a Christian and you know what God says, I want to encourage you just like we would anybody struggling with anything, a sin issue, uh, another kind of psychological issue like, you know, anorexia or a, a depression issue, uh, an issue of suffering, man, we want to say hold fast to what God says. And for you, that might be like a pure faith thing until Jesus returns. Um, And you just gotta hold out and say, Lord, I believe that your word is true and I'm struggling with this, but I believe that in this life or in the next, uh, man, you will make it worth my while that I obeyed you uh, and I held fast to you. And if you're not a Christian, the very first thing we wanna encourage you to do is consider Jesus. And consider who Jesus is and what he's done for you uh, and, and, and the, the claim that he has over your entire life, every, every part of, of your life. And we want to invite you to know him and be forgiven by him and to follow him. Sure. Well, I think maybe in, in closing, what you've, you touched on it just then, but... Um, you know, so much in our culture right now is to, like, be who you want to be and to just be happy, you know, whatever that does, whatever that means for you. Um, and how do we as believers live in this current culture where we want to say, yeah, you should be happy, but we hold, you know, the tensions of Christ and pursuing Christ. And those tensions put up, make us look like we are all those things that you said, you know, that we are judgmental. So, what, are, what, what as believers, how do we kind of approach at the world that's struggling? Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think we do live in a time where it's difficult to have these conversations because our culture values above all things, two things, authenticity and freedom. And the way they define authenticity and freedom is authenticity is doing whatever I feel like doing and freedom is whatever flows out of that. Um, And so what we do need to do is teach people, like Scripture says, that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Like, we can't always follow our desires. And so what we're trying to teach people to do is for your own good, you need to not only follow, you need to not follow your desires, but furthermore, you need to question your desires as well. Mm -hmm. And so when you start teaching people that they need to question their desires, they start to think, man, what do I need to question my desires against? And that is a, a great way to get to the word of God, to do apologetics, to demonstrate to people that there's a God in heaven that loves you and cares for you and wants, to, and wants you to understand how you should live your life. So, yeah. And I also just yeah. want to say just quickly, man, if, if, you, if your highest goal uh, in, in a friend's life is for them to be happy, that's kind of a cruel thing. Like we, we all know, we all have, we all had girlfriends who dated some dude and you knew he was an idiot. Like you knew this guy's a little, this guy is like, oh, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, this is amazing and happy. Um, her happiness was not your end game. It was for her to like really exp- know joy and to be healthy and, and to be wise. 
And I think we have to hold on to that, man. And the only way that gets calibrated in our hearts as Christians is through God's word. Like, man, somebody can be happy all day and, and be happy on their way to hell. And, and, and for us to just be like, oh, we just want you to be happy, man, that, that's, that's, that's cruel. Um, it's cruel. And so I think we, we have to be able to say, yes, I want you to happy, but be happy, but I want you to find your happiness in what is really going to last. Um, Don't follow your heart, <laughs> you know. Don't follow your heart. Follow your heart is probably one of the worst pieces of advice anybody could give you. Follow your heart. Because essentially what they're saying, they're not really saying heart. Heart is another way of saying desire. It's whatever you want to do. Do, what it, do whatever you want to do is follow your heart. That's what we mean when we say that. Uh, so unless your heart is constantly being filled with the affections of Christ, you're constantly being renewed by the, by the spirit of your mind, uh, you're putting off the old man, putting on the new man, discerning right from wrong, then maybe in a context you could say follow your heart because you know where it's guided, but generally don't live by that advice and don't give that advice to other people. I guess we'll just round it out. Uh, first of all, I need to clarify, Eric and I didn't call each other ahead of time and wear the same shirt on purpose, so that just happened. We're just tight like that. You all got both shoes on. Yeah, I'm the only one. So, but anyways, I love, I heard somebody say this one time, true freedom is doing what you want and not regretting it in a thousand years. So let's say you jump out of a plane and your parachute doesn't open. Are you free? Well, you're as free as you'll ever be. You're flying in the air. Woo, I'm free. Nobody's holding me back. Are you free to do what you want to do? No, you're not free to do what you want to do. So that's really what we got to think about in terms of what is true freedom. To live out my desires is slavery, as the Bible has said it. To be free from those desires is to live according to God's plan and then therefore enter into the kingdom and be free forever without these desires anymore. That's freedom. So when we talk about whether people are free and what they're looking for, that's what you want to really get after. Do what you want if it makes you happy in a thousand years from now. And if not, then you're not free. That's all the questions that I have. Well, that's not true at all. There's like lots more questions, but that's all the questions that we have time for before everybody starts walking out on us. So do you want to have any closing thoughts or do you want to close this in prayer? I'll just close this. I'll close this in prayer. Hey, let me, well, let me say, if you're here and you're struggling with any of the stuff that we talked about, uh, man, we just, we don't, we, we, we are pastors, right? We, we don't want to just answer a bunch of questions randomly on stage. Uh, hopefully this is helpful. But we want to talk to you, even if you're not a Christian and you disagree or you think stuff is hateful. Um, man, we want to, we want to, we, we got to work this stuff out in the context of relationship and real genuine heartfelt conversations. And so don't run away. Like if you have struggles or for you it's not a struggle, it's like, no, this is what I believe in. Come talk to us uh, tonight. And we love to talk and, and maybe answer some more questions, hear from you, pray uh, with you. So let me uh, pray and close this out. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you have, uh, you've given us your word, uh, God. Um, you haven't just left us in the dark. I find myself praying for that often, Lord. We are, uh, Lord, not just individually, um, you know, there's a way that seems right to man, but in, in the end leads to death, as Eric shared with us, God. But also just culturally, Lord, we are like, we are a blip on the radar of human history, uh, and so many things that we affirm scientifically and psychologically and all of that right now, and 100 years from now, people are going to look back and be like, that was stupid, uh, Lord. And, and, uh, and so, God, help us just not to be slaves to that. Help us to really stand, Lord, on your word, which is eternal, um, and help us to have confidence in it, Lord. I pray that you would really draw us into your eternal delight. Lord, as we follow you and as we obey you and where we struggle, Lord, we thank you that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. 
And so anyone here that feels condemned under the weight of their sin, Lord, I just pray, God, that they would see that in Jesus is true freedom. In Jesus is freedom from condemnation and slavery to sin. And that all of us, Lord God, would run from our sin and cling to Jesus, God. We love you uh, because you first loved us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.